0: All right, thank you, Hunter. You know that is a nice change of pace. I love the worship team and how many people we have up here and how many people you have uh, <coughs> doing that, but it's good to see you do it once in a while because I've often wondered if the worship team was just carrying you and you were just faking it up here. so now we know <coughs> so now we know that you actually have talent and you can do it. so no Hunter and Hunter. De- Hunter does a great job. In fact, he's going back to the back to do double duty today, too. So, Hunter's, our, Hunter's definitely our utility infielder. But, uh, rest of you worship team members today, uh, praise team, or what do we call them here? Uh, we we'll miss you guys up there and look forward to having you guys up there again, too. Um, well, today, before I get started, I have to run a disclaimer with this message, okay? So, I need to have this following statement, all right? So, the following message has been rated G Forgiving. All ages are admitted, but some content may be disturbing for those who believe that churches are only interested in money. So I just want you to think about that, all right? So that's our, our seriousness. Uh, so now I have a little bit of that out of the way. We are going to talk about giving today, and there are three reasons I'm going to talk about giving. Uh, first, uh, as a church consultant, I tell pastors all the time that at least once a year you need to preach on giving. I mean, it is part of our, of our spiritual formation and our development, so I'm going to follow through what I've told pastors for years uh second um i will tell you that um that our our giving is down a little bit as with most churches during covid now i want you to know we're not hurting god is still blessing our church we've got plenty of money we've got money in the bank and everything like that so we're not we're not hurting but but our but our giving is down a little bit so you always need to do it from then but the the third reason is that we're going to be dealing with our annual church budget after the worship service today so guest i want to say to you especially if you're a first-time guest You've picked a great day to be here, because actually, you're going to get a little peek behind the curtain. In this message, we're going to talk a little bit about how what we believe about money, and what uh, and how we handle money. And even though uh, in our, our, our business meeting that we'll have afterwards, only members of the church can vote, guests, I want to say, if you want to stick and hang around, and, and see, now for me, I'd probably head off to Panera Bread, and you know, and, and get a sandwich or something, but if you want to stick around and see how we handle money, you're welcome to be a part of it and just observe what we're doing today because it's all, all above board and everything. So just wanted you to know about that, but it's a great day if you kind of see what we're doing here, okay? So I want you to open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 5 to 7. Now we've got pew Bibles there. If you want, I know it's a little bit dark to see, so, but we know most people do it on their phones now anyway with an illuminated screen. But so Deuteronomy, we're just going to look at three verses out of the book of Deuteronomy. Um, as we're getting ready, as you're finding that, let me kind of set the stage for you a little bit. Deuteronomy is, um, is actually a, a, a Greek word. It means second law. That's what it comes from. And the book of Deuteronomy is sort of the, the retelling or the second giving of the law of Moses. Now, for New Testament Christians, we always wonder, like, how much are we under law and that kind of thing? And we're not going to get into all that today. Just let's say that the book of Deuteronomy has some stuff for us today because Jesus, quoted the book of Deuteronomy more than any other book of the Old Testament, at least record, that we have recorded in the Bible. So it's a lot of great stuff in there about it, but we're going to look at the context of what it meant for them in that day and apply it to what it means for us today. So Deuteronomy is a great book, some, it's some tough stuff in there, but I don't think we'll find this passage too hard, just these three verses. So Moses is preaching the sermon to the people and he says, And it's right before they go into the promised land. Moses is about to leave them. He's been told by God he's going to die and not be able to go into the promised land. But the people are going to go. So this is sort of his farewell sermon. And he says, when you go into the land that that God's promised, you shall seek the Lord at the place which the Lord your God will choose from all your tribes, the 12 tribes, to establish his name there for his dwelling. And you shall come there. And you shall bring there your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the contributions of your hand, your vowed offerings, your voluntary offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. There you and your household shall eat before the Lord your God and rejoice in all your undertakings in which the Lord has blessed you. Now we're going to unpack that in just a little bit, but let's have a word of prayer first. Fathers, we study your word today. We really do want your guidance Father, money is a difficult thing for us to wrap our hearts and minds around. And Father, I pray today that we'll wrap our minds around it, but we'll never wrap our our hearts around money, that our hearts might be open to you and the leading of your spirit. And so, Father, I pray today that you'll use these words from Deuteronomy and you'll use the words of your Holy Spirit to speak to us so that we may be generous people because you are a generous God and we want to be like you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, out of this passage today, we're gonna look at three common misconceptions that people have. So I'm calling this three common uh, common confusion about church charity. That's what we'll call it today. Common confusions about church charity. Now there's, before I get into it, another little disclaimer. There's a lot of disagreement on giving stuff today. And there's a lot more that could be said. I'm not gonna cover everything there is about giving and about how churches handle money today. I'm going to stick true to our passage, and I'm just going to talk about three things that come right out of this passage about giving. So don't think this is comprehensive on everything. It, it will probably be my only sermon on giving during our interim t- my interim time here, maybe, hopefully, but it won't cover everything. just want you to know that. So here's the first common misconception. The first one is you can send your tithe anywhere you want, and that's a pretty common thing. Now, God said to the people as he was getting ready, there, he said, once they entered into the Promised Land he would choose a site and that would be the place for them to worship and to bring all their offerings. Now, if you know anything about Jewish history at all or about the Bible, you know that eventually was the temple in Jerusalem. He didn't tell them at that time what it would be and where it would be. He says, this is the place that I would establish. Now this passage also says that that wouldn't wouldn't necessarily be the only place, but that he would choose a place at a time. And as the Jewish people expanded, we already talked about this back in December, that they created synagogues, and those also became, became places of worship and ministry. But the main place was still the temple. And so during the, the reign of the kings of, of, uh, or the judges and then King Saul, King Solomon, uh, King David, and uh, during the time of the divided kingdom, the temple in Jerusalem was still the main place where they were called to worship and they were called to bring their sacrifices and their contributions It would be a place like no other on earth. It would be the place that God chose. Now, a little later in the chapter, we're not going to go through all of this, but I am going to skip ahead to verses 13 and 14. God says specifically to them in these verses, Be careful that you do not offer your burnt offerings. That's one of the types of sacrifices they made. That you do not offer your burnt offerings in every cultic place that you see, but in the place which the Lord chooses in one of your tribes. There you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, the Jewish people were moving into the land of Canaan, and there were other people worshiping there, and they had set up worship places. You'll hear it about every high place or every green hill or things like that. They'd set up places that were considered special worship places. One of the ways to think about it, if you've got any friends that are into New Age, you know, in California, their their New Age place, Mount Shasta is one of those New Age places, all right? Uh, Sedona, Arizona is considered one of those New Age places where it's supposed to be like, you know, so other, worship, other religions had set up in Canaan, in the Promised Land, places where they worshipped. And it was typical for a conquering people to go in and just take over those worship places and say, hey, they built an altar here, we'll just start using it. Instead of sacrificing to their God, we're going to sacrifice to our God. And our God said, no, don't do that. Those places they set up, that wasn't about me at all. I don't want you to do that at all. And it became a common problem in Israel. They kept sort of going back to those places and worshiping. And if you read forward in the, like in the books of uh, Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, you'll find out that they, uh, all the time, that different kings would come up and say, one of the things they had to do was go clear out all the high places, because people started worshiping there again, and started doing their sacrifices there instead. And God kept saying, I want you to focus on Jerusalem, because this is the place that's going to represent me reaching you, and this is the place where I touch earth, and this is sort of symbolic of where I am. Now, they knew that God didn't dwell in Jerusalem. Solomon, when he dedicated the temple, said, not even all of heaven can, can hold you, God. And so we know this one building can't. But this will be our physical place where we kind of, when we focus on it, it will be our place of worship for you symbolic of, of all the places where we worship you. So that's what that was all about. And he says, so God said, don't do that. Pick the place that I choose. Now, why am I talking about this? Because in my years of ministry, I've heard Christians say things like, it doesn't matter where you send your tithe. They'll say, you can, some think giving to any mission organization is a part of your tithe. Now, I'm not against giving to missions organizations, but here's what I want to say. They were saying like, if I give $50 to a missionary that comes and that's I can take that off my tithe, in other words, since we're coming up on tax season pretty soon, that would be tithe-deductible, all right? And so you hear people talking about taking it tithe-deductible. I heard other people say contributions to any charitable organization is tithe-deductible. So if you give money to the American Red Cross, that's part of your tithe. If you give money to, um, to, to your college because you're just given to their, their scholarship funds or whatever, that's tithe-deductible because it's a charitable organization. I've even heard people say, taking care of a, of a relative in need, that's tithe deductible. I'm not giving to my church this week because God has brought into my life my good-for-nothing brother-in-law who's sponging off of us right now, and we're trying to bail him out of you know, his debt or whatever, and that kind of thing, and that's tithe deductible. Now, think about it. If you, you could take that just about anywhere, we're going to be starting small groups next month. So if one week you provide pizza for your small group, you spend $35 on that, is that tithe deductible? You know, could it be? If you uh, have lunch with a non-Christian friend and share your faith, is that tithe deductible? Or how about if you, you, uh, you just have with your family and you say a prayer, and that becomes a little worship experience right there, is that tithe deductible? Or maybe for some of you that are more spiritual, if you're spending a lot of time on your knees praying for our missionaries and stuff, is the wear and tear on your pants tithe deductible? I mean, you can see how far you can carry this out there. And I know that's being a little bit silly, but here's what I'm trying to say is that any attempt to lessen or or dilute your giving to what God has called us to give, I think, is just wrong. Now, before you get upset with me, because we have a lot of people tied to missions here and things like that, I am not saying that giving to missionaries or local ministries is wrong. In fact, it's important. God calls us to do that, and we're going to see that in a moment. Because God has called us to be generous people and we should give as freely as we can. Now We should give as freely as we can. Let me give you a couple of verses with that. Leviticus 19.9 says this. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap the very edges of your, of, of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather fallen grapes in the vineyard. You shall leave them for the needy, and the stranger. This is an example of charity that was outside their tithes. Here's what they were saying, that if you've got a vineyard, you had an orchard or whatever, the row of trees closest to the road, don't pick those. Leave those for people who are passing by, for people who have need. Now, there was a different culture back then. We understand that. So if you drive down you know, um, Avenue 9 in Madeira, and you drive through all those orange orchards, and you pull off the side of the road, and you pick some of the oranges off that road next to the trees, that might get you shot in Madeira. Okay, It's a little bit different nowadays, but back then, that was considered the proper thing to do. They said, if you're sitting there harvesting, and some stuff falls on the ground, don't pick it up. Leave it there for the poor people who are going to come by later and pick up after you. Let them have some of that. Don't go back and, do, and harvest it again. Anything you missed, you go as like, you know what, well, skip skipped that. Okay, that's what God wants us to give to somebody else. But that was separate from their tithe. We are called to be charitable and to take care of things like that. But this was apart from their worship at the temple. What about taking care of relatives and things? Well, let's go to Proverbs 3, 27 and 28. Here God commands, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, When it is in your power to do it, do not say to your neighbor, go and come back, tomorrow I'll give it to you. Again, that's separate from their giving to church. God said to the people of Israel, you are to be charitable with your gleanings, with the edges of your fields, with your neighbor that needs something, to give it to them and do that. So here's what I'm trying to say out of this, and I'm not trying to be legalistic. You're hearing me say that several times, okay? We are not a legalistic church, okay? We really aren't. Um, you know, we, we, well, we'll get to that in a moment, but this, I believe this passage says to us that our offerings should go, our offerings, our main offerings should always go to the place that God has designated, and I believe in the New Testament church like we are, that would be the church. In fact, that would be this church for us. Now, again, I'm not being legalistic. I know this is sometimes a gray area. It's difficult sometimes. I struggle with some of these things sometimes, trying to figure out. For example, um, if my mom gives me $200 for Christmas, I'm thinking, do I need need to tithe on that? And to be honest, I I don't usually. But I have friends in the ministry that say, oh yeah, if you get a gift like that, you should tithe on it. And so I'm still sort of struggling about with God. Fortunately, and I'm not trying to brag or anything, I usually give a little bit better than 10% to kind of cover all, and feel like God's blessed me with that. And, and a lot of people do, we'll talk about that in a moment too. But, but I've got people that say you should do that, people that say that you shouldn't. So I have to kind of deal with how God's dealing with me on it. Now, if I'm at a church, like, um, you know, um, I've had churches before that at Christmas time they'll just give a bonus to the, to the, to the, church, to the staff as an extra check. I get that from the church. That's no question for me. It's like, boom, that goes right into the, to, to the tithe pot right there. But that's me. That's me trying to figure out what God has asked me to do. But I want you to know that, that whatever I give, the first place I give is to the church where I'm serving, and that's this church. And so I still give 10%. No matter what I give to other organizations, no matter what I give to other things, I give 10%, at least 10% to the church where I'm serving, and that's right here, right now. So, and I don't do it out of compulsion. I do it because I believe that's what God asks of me, but I also believe it's what I need to do to be an obedient Christian and grow and and to become more like Jesus in my generosity. So, there we go. So, let's go to the second misconception here. Second misconception is that 10% is all that God asks. Now, I'm going to be using the word tithe here. For some of you, that may be a strange word. But if you've been at church any length of time, you know that tithe normally means 10%. That's what it comes from, is a, is a tenth there. And there's a lot of disagreement with Christians today whether the tithe is still something we should be doing. Some people say the tithe was an Old Testament law, and we're not under the Old Testament anymore. You know, we're not under law, we're under grace. And there's some truth to that. We are saved by the grace of Jesus. We're not saved by what we do. But there's still laws, we, typical laws we still need to follow. You know, if you get pulled over by the CHP, you can't say, I'm a New Testament driver, I'm driving under grace, not under law. Okay, it just doesn't work that way, all right? So, you, so we have to kind of do that. But let's go back to this tithe. Man, this, our air handlers are great in this church. i got to start bringing like a heavy bookmark here to keep my, my notes from flying all over the place. Um, but I do want to tell you, the tithe actually precedes the Mosaic law. The first thing of tithes came long before Moses. Abraham tithed. So, that, so it actually something that wasn't necessarily part of the law of Moses. It was something God established long before that. But having said that, I think the New Testament standard isn't the tithe. The New Testament standard is generosity. It's generosity. Here's one of my favorite verses. Most of you may know this one. Some of you may have even thought of it already. It's 2 Corinthians 9-7. It says this, Each one must do just as he has decided, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This was Paul writing to the church in Corinth because he was going to take up an offering for the people back in Jerusalem. And he says, so do as God has led you, not because you have to, but because you want to, because God loves a cheerful giver. Have you ever heard the phrase, give until it hurts? you ever heard anybody say that before? All right, that is so wrong. What we need to do is give until it tickles. All right, that's my challenge to all of you. Give until it tickles. Just say, Oh man, it just feels so good to give this. That's the standard right there. Now, what causes you to tickle? I don't know. All right, I'm just saying that's something to be considering there at that point. Now, let's come back to our passage here, okay? Oh no, I'm gonna skip to one more thing about tithing. This is what Jesus said. Luke eleven forty two. 42, and I know I use a lot of verses here, but I wanna, it's my only sermon on, on giving, so I want to kind of get you to see a whole picture here. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he says to this in Luke uh, 11, 42, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe the mint and rue, it was just a, an herb, and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These things you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And a lot of people think Jesus was criticizing the Pharisees for being so particular about their tithing. No, he wasn't. He was saying, yeah, you ought to have done that. But what is still more important is focusing on justice and the love of God. So keep that in mind, that Jesus did not condemn them for tithing. He condemned them for not doing other things beyond their tithing. Now, not necessarily with giving there, but that was a part of it too, okay? So now let's come back to our passage there, all right? So in our passage today, Moses mentions, in verse 6, mentions bringing the tithe, as well as burnt offerings, sacrifices, contributions, vows, free gifts, and the firstborn offering. So let's look at these together, all right? So, you know, there there's six different kinds of offerings that were mentioned here. So, the first one he mentions is called sacrifices. So, sacrifices there. And I i just felt like that kind of made most of us sitting there, sitting on our money, trying to think, what do we do with it, all right? And that's, that's sort of how I feel sometimes when I'm talking about giving to the church. Now, sacrifices is just a general word for any kind of sacrifice usually as a part of a feast, but that's, it was just a generic word used there, so if you went to a, a feast and you made an offering to God as a part of one of the festivals or feasts that you, you called it sacrifices. Then he mentions burnt offerings. These were offerings of worship that were en- entirely consumed by, at the altar. In the fact, the Hebrew word for burnt offering means that which goes up, as in going up in smoke or going up in flames. So, A regular sacrifice could be <clears throat> could be offered up to God, and then the meat from it could be given to the priests, or to the to the Levites, or sometimes eaten by the family as a part of of, of worship. But a burnt offering, there was nothing you burn it all up, and there was nothing that came to you at all. So it was a thing where you say, God, I'm not getting anything out of this. This is just all for you. So that was the idea of the burnt offering. Then he talks about contributions that included animal sacrifices, but it also sometimes would be gifts of produce or Gifts of money or land or even clothing. So when uh, in the book of Acts, when Barnabas sells a piece of land and gives the money, that was considered a contribution. Sometimes people would just bring to the to the priest something, uh, you know, something that they could use, something that they could use in worship, something they could use to survive, that kind of thing. So not necessarily money, not necessarily um, you know anything in particular, but anything they gave. That was not necessarily a sacrifice; was considered a tr- contribution. Then he mentions vows. Vows are anything offered to God as a part of a vow. Sometimes it's called the votive offering. If you see it, if you have votive candles at home, that comes from the idea of making a vow. And so a vow would be saying basically like, um, you know, God, when I, you know, I'm I'm going off on this journey. If 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 it is, if you bring me home safely, I will donate 10% of whatever I make to this journey or whatever. So that kind of vow. So that's all that is. Then there were things called free will offerings. Free will offerings are anything just given out of love and support. They weren't tied to any obligation, any vow, any commitment at all. It was just basically saying that people that said, you know what? I just feel like I want to make a contribution. Just feel like this is the right thing for me. I just I decided to give this. Maybe it's because God blessed you but not because you vowed to God if you bless me to do this. Just look at this go like, wow, we got a little extra money. Let's give something to the church. Just, just because we want to. No other reason than that. And then the last one he mentions is called the firstborn offering. And that was an interesting one because like the tithe, this is the one that wasn't optional. Most of these were optional. But the tithe and the firstborn op- offering were not. And uh, here's what it meant. Every firstborn animal was sacrificed at the, at, at the temple. So if you, had a, if you had a cow, its first cow that it gave birth to Calf that it gave birth to, that was offered, sometimes as a sacrifice, sometimes to the to the priest for them to raise and to use or whatever. But it was done in a little bit, but the idea was it wasn't yours. That first one belonged to God, and so you gave it to them. When you planted a new field, the first harvest out of it was all given to the temple worship. Because you're saying, God, this is not mine, this is yours, and give that to you. Uh, a tree that was planted, its first fruits were given to the church now the reason for this was it was a symbolic thing to say that everything that I get from this field everything I get from this cow everything I get from this tree God really belongs to you and as a symbol of that and its trust as a trust in my belief in you and that your care I'm gonna give the first to you here's the weird thing that even applied to firstborn children now don't freak out God was not about human sacrifice okay He's never asked that. So there's another passage. We won't get into it now. But there's a place in the in the uh, I think in the book of Numbers it is. I can't even remember right now where it is. So don't hold me to that. Where God says, "Okay, every firstborn child is mine too." But let's do a deal here. I don't want you offering your kids. Okay, so count up all the firstborn. And there was X amount of firstborns there. And they said, "Now count um, um, all right." I'm getting, I'm getting notices back here. Jesus was the firstborn that was sacrificed. All right, that is part, yes. Hunter, this is my sermon, Hunter. You get to preach later, okay? He's putting notes on the back wall for me there, all right? No, send me notes if my zipper's down or something like that, but not sermon. Wow. All right. Donna, put that on the agenda for staff meeting, okay? To talk, never, never mind. All right, um, now, now i got to start over, okay? So <laughs> this sermon is rated G. I lost my, all right, because I want to be finished by now, and I'm only at the second point because we've got business meeting and then we've got Christ helping hands afterwards, so I want to make sure we get time for that. So um, uh, basically he said, so we count up the number of firstborn and we count up the number of Levites. And it was about the same. They did a little other transaction to make it equal. And, and, and he just said, I'm going to count the Levites as my firstborn sacrifice. They're going to they're gonna be the firstborn there. So all the Levites were set apart. That's why they didn't have land that belonged to them. They weren't set out as a tribe. They were set out to service there. So, so it worked. So God even did that thing with the firstborn to the adults. So uh, let's keep going on from there, all right? Um, so the contributions to, pla- the, uh, to the place that God designated went far beyond the tithe. And on top of that, the tithe wasn't just a simple 10%. There was the first tithe that went to support the temple and the priests and the Levites. There was a second tithe that is mentioned in Deuteronomy 14 that was used for the annual feasts. And later in Deuteronomy 14, it even mentions a third tithe that was taken up every three years to care for the poor and to make up for anything else that was missing. So some, now we don't know a lot about those tithes. I'm not gonna preach them, it. there's only a few verses in Deuteronomy that talk about them. But some scholars believe that there was an annual tithe twice, and then there was a tithe every three years. So approximately 23% of an Israelite's income went to the church experience. Now, we're not asking for a 23% tithe, okay? But I'm saying that was what they were probably looking at, not just a 10%. Now, I'm gonna tell you one quick story, and I gotta make it quick now, because I, I don't wanna go longer. But um, one day, in, in my church consulting experience, I was uh, working with a church of a, of a different ethnic makeup, and I'm not gonna even tell you what it was, some of you will know, but we don't wanna get into that, because I'm an old white guy, and anything I say that deals with race and ethnicity, I'm gonna get in trouble, okay? But it was just a it was a little bit different culture, and uh, I was there working with the church, and they had, a, and they had the offering, passed the plate. And I had a couple of dollars in my pocket, and I was in my 20s, wasn't making a lot of money at this point, but I took a couple of dollars in my pocket, threw it in the offering plate, because I wanted to be a good example, and, and probably a little pride, I wanted to look good too, like I had to add something in there. But then I found out later, that offering was just for the pastor. Every money in that offering went to the pastor for that week, that was his pay. A little bit later in the service, they passed the plate again. And I found out that was for benevolence. Everything you put in that plate for then went to charity for the community. So I had a couple of more dollars and I put it in there. Um, and then later in the service, they had a third offering. This was for the weekly church budget. And instead of passing the plate, the deacons got up and had everybody come down front where they had a, a communion table there. With offering plates on it and people walked by and they put it, their money in the offering plate there in front of everybody if you've been here from when we do communion sort of like that everybody came down and got their stuff but you saw it in front of everybody all I had left in my wallet was a 20 that was my money for the week as a 20 year old and to be honest right now I can't remember if I gave it or not so I'm thinking I probably didn't so I probably just walked by and just went yeah and be embarrassed but but here's the deal that was for the weekly budget and the deacons actually, when the church went through, the deacons counted the money. If it wasn't a month, a, enough to make the budget for that week, we marched down again. And if it wasn't enough to make the budget that week, they marched down a third time. All right? Now, we're not going to do that, and I don't think churches of, of that ilk do that anymore. That was, again, when I was 20, so that was 40 years ago, all right? But I'm just saying that, that, that there are different cultures with that, but... To tithe is not always meant just 10%. So let's only give you some stats about, about giving today, okay? I want you to see the average donation by adults who attend Protestant churches in the U.S. is about $17 a week. That's about the average giving. Now some of you are thinking, oh man, we are way better than average. Yeah, but think about it. That's what the church is surviving on if, you know, that is the average. So kind of think that, all right. On average, Christians now give 2.5% of their income to churches. But during the Great Depression, during the Great Depression, Christians gave 3.3% of their income on average. So we're giving now less than we did during the Great Depression. 37% of people who attend an evangelical church in the U.S. don't give any money to their church weekly. This one really threw me. Families making less than $20,000 a year, 8% of them give at least 10%. But families making 75,000 or more, only 1% tithes. Think about that. There's a general thing in in the US culture, the more you make, the less you give. Wow. But 77% of those who tithe give more than 10%, up to 20% or more. 70% 70% of tithers do so on their gross income, not on their net income. So seven out of 10 tithers say it's, it's not tithe deductible. It's gonna be off my gross income. And this one, parents, I want you to listen to this one. People are more likely to practice tithing when they begin their practice in their teens or early 20s. And then finally, this statistic here. And if you wanna know, I can share these with you later where I got these, but if Christians follow the Old Testament standard of giving across the board, then every year there would be $139 billion more available for ministry and mission work around the world, just, in the U, just from the U.S. alone, if people follow that Old Testament standard of 10%. Now, what does this mean for us today? Well, first I want to say again, we live under grace, not under law. God does not have a transactional relationship with us. We can't give to God in order for him to bless us. He's already blessed us. He's going to do what he does no matter what we do. And so we don't give to get back from God. That's that's not it at all. But, um, But we must recognize that everything we have is from God, and it's a blessing from God. It comes from him, it belongs to him, and our tithe is a way of showing that he has ownership of it. So the tithe should be a habit, but generous giving should be our lifestyle. And yet, I want you to know at our church, we're never going to criticize or look down at anyone for giving less. In fact, I don't know what people give here. I don't have any idea. I don't want to know. All right? That's not my, they don't, I don't go in the room when they're counting the offering and stuff and they're doing that. I don't look at those records because that's not what we're about. But we are about being generous. Let me get to the last point. I'll make this one really quickly, all right? Third misconception, the church should not spend any tithe on itself. Now, we've already alluded to this, but in verse 7 it talks about that God said that that money was used for their feast, for things like that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tighten this up really quickly here because I do want to have time for the business meeting. I want to have time for a little fellowship in between here. but. But basically he said, you know, some of this was used for ministry, some of this was used for other things, but you did have to use it for temple upkeep. It was used to support the Levites and the priests. It was used in your feast. In other words, you could offer a sacrifice to God, but then you could eat some of the food with particular kinds of sacrifices that were made as a part of the feast. It was an idea of you were sharing and fellowship with God at that time. So Moses makes it clear in this part that part of the tithe could be a benefit to them, but it still had to be used only in the way and in the place that God chose. Now that's a real quick summary of that part. Now here's what I wanna say is I do believe that, that a lot of churches do spend too much of their tithes on themselves. I do think that happens. I don't think that's happening here, um, but but some churches it does happen. In fact, I'm sure it's not happening here. But uh, some churches, you hear about it, like extreme versions of it, like pastors that have private jets and vacation homes and fancy decorations. Uh, those are a lot more rare. I think those are, those are Definitely the outlier exceptions, but when we hear about them, we pay attention to them and that's good. I mean, we want to be aware when churches are not using money well. When we go to a church and they've got really fancy decorations and stuff like that. And so we have to kind of, you know, find our balance there, but we don't want to go to extremes. When my, my wife used to work for a, a high-tech R&D company in Silicon Valley, and one of the engineers there was just angry when he found out I got a salary from the church. He just says, that's crazy. Said you shouldn't do that. You should live in a home owned by the church. You should drive a car owned by the church. Every week the church should deliver groceries to you that, you know, you don't pick out the groceries, but they just deliver you what what you know what they've gathered that week for you to eat. And you should wear clothes that have been donated by the church. That was his whole thing. He didn't think we should have any control of money whatsoever. All right? Oh my gosh. And for, from an engineer. So you know he didn't have a lot of social skills. But anyway, um, <laughs> If you're an engineer, I'm sorry, if you're an engineer, I really am sorry, but we know it's true. All right, so anyway, um, but uh, all right, if you're watching online, remember, I'm the interim, I'll be gone one day, so it'll be a better guy here. So, um, but, um, but let me tell you right now, you're going gonna to start looking for a new pastor in a few months, and uh, when we do, if you have that kind of pay plan set up for him, you're not going to get a new pastor. You're going to be stuck with me for a long time. And even if you could find a, a, a person who'd be willing to live under those conditions, it wouldn't take long before, before you guys went, this is too much. We're going to do it. Just pay them a salary. We do not want to do this anymore, all right? So you're going to wind up having to pay somebody something, and some of your tithe is going to go to that. In most churches, about 50%, and that's true for us too, about 50% of our tithes goes to support staff. That's a healthy number right there. We found that out in churches. So, so, but here we need to do is say, we need to find balance. We want to offer nice nice things to the Lord in worship. We want to have good sound systems. We want to have good screens. We want to have good lights. We want to have comfortable chairs. But well, we don't want to go overboard in it. You know, we're not providing you recliners, you know. We're not providing you cup holders and that kind of thing. But we're going to provide. So finding that balance is what we want to to, to look at. Um, well, I had other some other illustrations, but I'm going to skip through those and just get to the end, okay? I want to go back to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. We'll just skip. Those that uh, they were great illustrations. I'll put them in a newsletter at some point. All right. All right. You would have loved them, but we're going to skip on there. Let's go back to uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 9 7. It says, Each one must do just as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or not under compulsion, not being forced to, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I'm gonna say God loves a cheerful giving church too. And one of the things I'll let you know in the budget we're gonna present to you, about ten percent of our offering it's going to go directly to missionaries. The missions, we're going to tithe off the money that comes in to stuff that doesn't benefit our church at all. There's not anything for that. That's going to go. And that's one of the first things we pay, okay, is to pay those missionaries because that's our tithe as a church. I say it's one of the first things we pay. I'm assuming it is done. I don't know what gets paid first, but that's like number one priority with me. And I'm, we haven't missed, we're not, we've not let down any missionaries yet, have we? Okay, good. So thank you. All right, so let me summarize what we've done today. We're going to get ready to close. First, the New Testament standard is cheerful generosity. But I will say that I believe the tithe is still a good standard or a good starting place for us. You know, um, second, your full tithes is to go to your local fellowship, your local church, before other giving. But there should be other giving. Third, the tithe was just a starting place for God's people in the Old Testament, and it should be just a starting place for us, too. Now having said that, let me say right now, you know, if you're, if you're not giving to the church, I'm not saying, to be, to, you know, for God to be happy with you, you've gotta start immediately giving 10%. That's not what this is about, okay? You go, as God said, as God has decided, helped you decide in your heart, not under compulsion. And if God says to you, hey, all you're gonna be able to give right now is 1%, we're not gonna criticize you for that. In fact, I'm not even gonna know. But we say that what we believe is a good standard is probably that tithe again, or a good, a, a good target point for us there at that point. But again, if God says, hey, you're going to give $10 a week, that's okay. Listen, you listen to God, not to me on that, all right? So keep that in mind. We're not under law, but under grace, but we do have guidelines to help us figure it out. Uh, fourth, we should be generous beyond our tithe to our church, to other organizations, and even to individual needs. Uh, next, it's okay that a church uses some of its tithe for fellowship and for infrastructure. It's going to have to happen. Not as little as we can, but we've got to use some of it. And finally, in the final accounting, each of us has to give freely as God directs. Now, this isn't the kind of message that's going to, I think, anybody's going to come forward and, and, you know, and say, oh my gosh, I'm, you know, I'm going I'm I'm to lay the deed to my house at the, you know, at the altar right now or whatever. And we're not expecting that. We don't want that. We want you to pray about this. So here's what I'm asking you to do as we get ready to close I want you to do your own financial assessment of your generosity are you meeting the standard of tithe or better yet are you meeting the standard of cheerfulness with it second and more importantly are you giving as God directs you and I'm going to ask you to pray and ask him for clarity in giving as he expects from you that's the important thing right if you want to get anything that's it right there the main thing And then if you are giving here, are you still looking for other opportunities to be generous with other ministries? Maybe ministries that we're doing, that you give to it separately or whatever, or to mission work that's going on that you're giving to it separately, other charities. Again, generosity is what we're looking for. And finally and most importantly, have you accepted God's generosity toward you? Because he gave the perfect gift. We talked about 2 Corinthians 9. It ends with this phrase. That chapter ends with this phrase. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And that indescribable gift was Jesus who gave his life on the cross for you. And that, if you don't get anything else out of the sermon, get this. If you don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord or don't know what that means, after the service today, come talk with me or one of our other leaders. We want to share with you that wonderful gift that Jesus gave in giving of his own life because that's the only reason we can and should give because Jesus gave. He was generous, generous with his life. He's called us to be generous with our lives. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful again for all that you have given us. Father, thank you that you allow us to be a part of your work in our own giving. And Father, as we Go through this day as we go through the rest of our lives, Father. Help us to be people who are listening to your voice, people who are who are determining with you every day what you want us to do in our heart. And Father, thank you for allowing our money to be used to proclaim the name of Jesus here in this church, here in this community, and Father, yes, around the world. In Jesus' name, amen.